Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. We're glad you could join us today. Uh, you know, my birthday's coming up in about three weeks, you know, in case anybody at home was, was just itching to know that. But I won't tell you how old I'm going to be because I'm at that perfect age right now where everybody that's older than me still sees me as young and immature, but everybody younger than me still sees me as uh, old and, and outdated. So, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's great to be in the prime of your life right now. But my, my wife keeps asking the question, uh, my wife and my mom and my mother-in-law, what do you want? And I usually hate the question because I hate thinking about uh, birthday present ideas. But it's invaded my head this week. It has just been ringing around and around and around, and I'm, I'm on the back porch this week and just asking myself the question, what do I want? And, and what, like right now, what do I want right now? And uh, we're all feeling restless to some extent right now. Uh, forget the pandemic, forget being shut inside. We are always restless to some extent. It's a part of who we are. Uh, in some sense, we're all like the beach ball that you try to hold under the water in the swimming pool. You know the feeling when you're, you're sitting on it and your legs start shaking and you start wobbling back and forth until you finally give up and it just rockets out of, out of the, the pool because it's, it's not at rest until it gets to where it wants to be. Well, Paul has been teaching us that we are like the beach ball being held under the water. He's, he's trying to teach us that we need to be content wherever we are in every circumstance with whatever we have. But this next section is fascinating because Paul now introduces uh, an entirely different kind of restlessness, one that he actually wants us to have. But what is it? What's the answer to the question? What do you want right now? What makes you restless? What keeps you up at night and consumes your thoughts and your planning right now? What does Paul have to say to the perpetual wanderers, to the beach ball hearts? Would he tell us to keep sitting on the ball? and just pray for contentment as we hold it under? Or does our discontent need to be redirected somewhere else? Paul's going to show us today that there is a good and a bad kind of restlessness. There is a, a selfish discontent and a holy discontent. The, the patron saint of wondering hearts, uh, St. Augustine, he, he said it like this, and you've most likely heard this, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's the beach ball. It's our beach ball hearts. So there is a good kind of restlessness, and in order to navigate just the thin line between the two, uh, we're going to split this restlessness or this discontent into three parts. The direction, the pace, and the goal. 
We're gonna look at the direction of our restlessness, the pace of it, and the goal of our restlessness or our discontent. So you remember in in chapter three, Paul gives us the end goal. It's knowing uh, Jesus. He he said in in verse eight, in verse 10, uh, his supreme goal is to know him intimately, which means carrying the power of Christ's resurrection into his daily life, but it also means entering in and fellowshipping with him in his sufferings. It means being conformed to his death. That's, that's, that's the only way to know Jesus intimately, and for Paul, it's worth it. And he says in verse 7 that all his striving and earning and anything he thought gave him a leg up or an advantage, everything he thought was gain, it, it turned out to be a disadvantage to him. It got in the way of him knowing Jesus, and he wants nothing more than to know Jesus intimately. But, he says in in, in verse 12, he's not there yet. Paul is confined in a a prison cell. He's he's counting everything he once valued as loss. And, And he's preaching contentment in every circumstance, yet he is not content in every way. He's not. There is a holy discontent in his relationship with Christ. I want you to see the disparity here between last week and this week. Notice the the emphasis in the verses that we looked at last week. Paul had nothing to bring to the table. All of his work, everything he thought he earned, he counted it as loss. But but now he's he's talking about how he strives and presses on and reaches forward. He says he's trying to lay hold of something, to attain something. And so there's a huge disparity here in, in Paul's teaching. How can he say in one breath that your striving adds no value and in the very next breath he tells you to run hard and strive? Dallas Willard puts it this way. He said this so often in his, in his writings. He says, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. So the distinction that we're going to see here It comes down to that difference between earning and effort, between adding value and adding intimacy. To strive because you're trying to earn something or add value to your life is a heaping pile of dookie as, you know, using Paul's image from from last week. But to strive for intimacy, that's a whole nother story for Paul. He's still striving, but it's redirected. His striving, his restlessness, his discontent, it's changed course. And this is really the key here. When, when you're wondering about your motives, uh, how to distinguish between earning and effort, where that thin line is between them, I started asking myself the question this week, like, am I doing this because, because I think it adds value to my net worth? Or am I, am I doing it because it adds to my intimacy with Christ? It's not always easy to tell, but, but there have been a few times just this week where, where I've, I've stopped myself and I said, I can see that, that I'm doing this for validation, for, for acceptance, for approval, whatever the, whatever the thing is I'm doing in the moment. I'm, I'm starting to see when I'm, when I'm doing it for those things. And it's freeing when you realize it's not a value play anymore. It's, it's a proximity play, an intimacy play. 
to be near him. We still strive, but the direction of our striving has changed. It's not just up and down in valuation, but straight ahead toward Jesus. And it's because Paul's value is already set that he's, he's so open about his imperfections. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained this. That is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. That's it. He's not perfect, but Jesus laid hold of him anyway. Instead of touting his his resume like he did before in the beginning of chapter 3, trying to gain approval from from God and, and everybody else, Paul now freely admits his imperfections. Why does he not care, though, if if you approve anymore? Why does he not seek validation or a, a higher valuation of himself? It's because his value is set. It's set. Simple economics are are in play here. Uh, think about just what it takes to set the the value of something. How do we set a price, whether it's the marketplace or the stock markets? You see the, the stocks going up and down in fluctuation because they're, they're trying to find at what price somebody is willing to pay for the share of that stock. Well, in chapter 2, what was Jesus willing to pay? He gave his life. There is no higher price. And if he was willing to pay that while we were still enemies of God... There's nothing that can change your value, your net worth, not your successes or your failures. Paul, he's the same guy who wrote in in, in Romans 8 saying, saying that absolutely nothing could separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Paul is now pressing forward to lay hold of the one who laid hold of him. That's his goal. And so in the next verse, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself, or I do not consider myself to have attained this. He says, I'm not there. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at the freedom Paul has in running to Christ. Not only... not. Not only has the direction of his ambition changed from this up and down fluctuation to to this movement straight ahead, but the pace at which he is running is is, uh, an all-out sprint. There's no passivity here, no sluggish attitude waiting for God to make all the moves as if that were the pinnacle of our faith and our Christian life rather than an excuse for laziness and apathy. How many times do we use waiting on God as an excuse for our inactivity? Paul has a holy ambition, a holy discontent. He knows God is in control and that that he can be content in whatever situation that he finds himself, but he will never stop striving forward to Christ forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. But what is behind that Paul is forgetting? We've got to answer this, this question. I was, I was wondering this in, in my study this week. Just Does it have to do with his successes? 
you know, all the things, the, the long resume from chapter 3, all the advantages that, that he counts as a loss. Or is he talking about his failures? All the, the, the sin that kept him from Christ? Yes, all of it. He's leaving all of it behind. Anything that hindered his running toward Christ is sloughed off and stripped away so that he can run faster toward him. Now look, he's not forgetting them in the sense that, that he never recalls them or learns from them. He's forgetting them in the sense that he doesn't let his past failures weigh him down. And he doesn't let his past successes make him complacent. When, when was the last time that you felt like a failure? Like you really messed it up. You really messed up big time. Did, did you assess what happened and, and learn from it and, and, and just move on? Or did it linger? Because for me, I'm a lingerer. If I have, a, if I have a, 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 even the smallest failure in my life, I'm a lingerer. I get stuck on it. It just, it just keeps repeating in my head. Paul lets it go. But he doesn't forget them as, as if he's now unaware of, of his shortcomings. He's fully aware. In, in verses 12 through 14, when he says he has not reached that point, he has not attained his goal. In fact, the closer that you get to Christ, the more aware you are of, of your own sin, of your own shortcomings. Uh, Charles Spurgeon used the illustration of the weight of water. And, and, you know, when you're in the water, just like when you were formerly dead in your sin, uh, you just float. You're just weightless. You're unaware of the weight of the water. But when Christ calls you out of your sin... And, and, and you start to move toward him. It's like when you come out of the, the pool and you realize the weight of the water. You try to carry any of it along with you for any length of time. The further you're carrying some, some water jugs down the road, the heavier you're going to realize they are. You were weightless and unaware before Christ. But now the closer you get to Christ, the longer that you walk with him down that path, the more aware you are of the weight of the sin in your life. So Paul's not unaware. He's not just, he's not just lingering over it and, and letting it weigh him down anymore. He's, he's letting go. Those are our failures, but when was the last time that you felt like a success, like you nailed it, you really got this one, you really feel like you're on the, the top of the world and, and did a good job? It's one thing to celebrate it. And, and, and to thank God for it. But how often do we rest on our laurels, on our past wins? How often do we let ourselves feel satisfied or content with, with our spiritual lives? How many of us are still living off of yesterday's grace, yesterday's revelation? Paul wants renewed, renewed running every day, renewed intimacy with Jesus every single day. So not only has the direction of Paul's restless ambition changed, but the pace at which he's running, it's unencumbered. Not because he's perfect, but because he has a realistic view of, of his value. Look at what he says in, in verse 15. I love how the, the net translates it. Uh, Therefore, let those of us who are perfect embrace this point of view. Perfect. Paul just said in verse 12 that he has not achieved perfection. 
the net puts it in quotations because he's most likely being sarcastic here. I have no idea any other way that we could take it. He's most likely being sarcastic. He's saying the perfect or mature Christian is the one who realizes his imperfection. And yet he runs, he runs imperfectly toward Christ. That's the the perfect Christian. I wrote it down in my notes this way. I said the mature Christian is the one who realizes that neither his successes nor his failures add or subtract anything from his value. The goal of all his striving is to achieve a greater, is not to achieve a greater valuation of his own life, but to fight inch by inch for the closest possible proximity to the Savior who already values him infinitely. Your value is set by what Jesus paid. Paul tells us in verse 17 to be fellow imitators of him. The word is is really unique in the Greek and, and literally means fellow imitators, like imitators alongside of. And he's saying we can confidently follow Paul's example because he is following Christ. But here's the other option. Paul contrasted in in verses 18 and and 19. The other option, Paul says, and and he says this through tears. He says this weeping. The other option is to live like an enemy of the cross of Christ. Not just an enemy of Christ, an enemy of his cross. Instead of knowing the fellowship of his sufferings like we saw last week, these are the people who only seek their own comfort. You remember the the harsh words that Jesus had for Peter when Jesus predicted his own death and and, and Peter told him, no, he wouldn't let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, obviously, Peter came around, you know, with this this harsh rebuke. But Paul is, is talking about the kind of people, maybe even Christians, people who call themselves Christ followers, but who follow their appetite. He says in verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They exult or boast in their shame and they think about earthly things. Their God is their belly. I I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy who makes all of his decisions based on his gut. I don't want to be at the the whim of, of every appetite shift that I have. I don't want to be driven by it. I, I don't want to be somebody who exults or boasts in his shame, brags about things that are shameful, or, or have my mind only on earthly things. Paul says we can, we can follow him confidently because, you know, as he runs out ahead, because he's heading to the same place. He's saying be a fellow imitator. The direction of Paul's restlessness has changed. His pace is now unencumbered. And his goal, uh, the goal of his restlessness, of his discontent, is straight out ahead. He says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we also await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies, or in the Greek, it's literally the bodies of our humility, He will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power which he is able to subject all things to himself. That's our goal. Our citizenship is in heaven 
where, where we can be nearest to God, where our bodies uh, will be transformed into his likeness. Paul's saying he wants us to live according to our heavenly citizenship. He wants us to follow the pattern of those who have gone before us. The goal is not originality. The goal is Christ-likeness. So who are you following in your life? Who, who, who are you modeling your running after? Who do you have coaching you along the way, spurring you on, encouraging you? It's, it's hard to hold on to a goal that seems so distant, like heaven. If, if there's too much disparity between where you are and where you want to be, then it's really easy to give up. That's why people tell us to, to, to set realistic goals and expectations. But if you can follow somebody who is ahead of you in your walk with Christ, somebody who knows Jesus intimately but still strives, it inspires you to, to run when you know that someone has walked that closely with Jesus on this side of eternity. I love reading the Puritan writers because many of them exhibited such a, um, just a longing for Jesus and, and a drive to, to follow him. When you have mentors in your life, you know, you can see their, their imperfections. But you, you, you get a glimpse of a life well lived and it inspires you to want the same. Not because of a value, not because you want to add value to your life, but you know you can get closer to Jesus in intimacy. You can move toward him. You know, many people, when they're, when they're setting a goal, they'll, they'll post a picture of it somewhere. Uh, whether it's, you know, the, the, the beach body they're trying to achieve or the, the vacation they want to take, the career that, that they're, they're trying to work towards. Um, but unless you can spend a significant amount of time keeping the prize in front of you, you will lose sight of the goal. You'll get sidetracked by other things that, that seem really important in the moment. I know we all live by the tyranny of the urgent to some degree. And those, those spiritual pictures in front of you, uh, if it's the old dead writers or if it's the mentors in your life, they create a discontentment with your current state. But it's good. They show you how far you are away from it. They, the, the disparity makes you restless. And when you see those, those imperfect pictures of people who are, who are striving after Jesus, it makes it look more attainable. For those, those people out in front of you uh, who are further in, in, in their walk with Christ, find them and emulate them. Run like they run. That's what Paul's saying here. Run like they run. So, we see the direction, we see the pace, we see the goal. Just remember as you're running, nothing I do is a value play anymore. It's a proximity play. Nearness to Christ is the goal. To say I want to be a better Christian is, is to miss the point. Better implies value. We don't need people walking around saying that, that they want to be better Christians. Our goal is nearness to Jesus. That's what we strive for. We're not earning anything. We are 100%, though, putting effort in to know him. And this is so important because remember what Jesus says in Matthew 7. 
These are terrifying words. He says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? That sounds like a person I would let in. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. What happens if if you thought you're about to enter into your heavenly citizenship and you get there and God says those words to you, I never knew you. You might start scrambling a little bit. You, you might start thinking, how, how is that possible? You, you're blindsided and you wonder, you know, I, I went to church almost every week. I, I, I led small groups and Bible studies. Maybe I was a pastor or a speaker or an author. I was a good dad, mom, husband, wife, brother, sister. I was a missionary. I, I, was, I fed starving children and taught them how to read the Bible for goodness sake. Wow. God might say. You sound really valuable. But when you were seeking the value, when you were adding that value to your life, where was I? Did you run after me? Did you seek me to come near to me? Did you strive to know me? So here's how I've been applying this to my own life this week. In order to retrain my mind uh, with just, just about every decision I'm making, I'm asking myself, is this a value play or proximity play? Am I doing this to add value to my life or because it will bring me nearer to Jesus? That's the difference between earning and effort. Of, of the times that I felt closest to Jesus, one of them was when I was in high school and I just... I would just go off on these drives for 30 minutes at a time. Cool summer nights and the window was down and I would turn the radio off and I didn't even know what silence and solitude were at this time. I didn't know they were spiritual disciplines. I just, know, I just knew that I needed to be closer to him and so I shut off the distractions. Try that this week. You may not be able to, to leave the house and go wherever you want to go yet, but you can go for a drive for 20 to 30 minutes. If you don't have a car, you can, go, you can go take a bike ride. Strive for that nearness this week. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, uh, starting in verse 25. And this is one that's it's worth committing to memory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, and they will. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. Notice the the proximity. Those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Is that true of you? Is it true of me? Is the nearness of God your good? Is it where you find your value? Because remember, this is not a value play. This is a proximity play. Let's stop trying to make ourselves more valuable. 
Stop playing that game. Allow Jesus to, to redirect your restless heart, to redirect that discontent. Run toward him relentlessly. And let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that you want to be near to us. Just the thought that you want to be near is overwhelming. It's enough to think on for the rest of the week, just the fact that you want to be near and you came near. And now you invite us to be near to you. God, help us to not be looking to add to our value because it's set by what you paid. But help us to seek that intimacy, that nearness. And it is in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.